0: In First John chapter 4, he says this. Let's look at verse 15. Starting in verse 15, uh, John says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him. Abide and he in God. So abide literally means to take up residence, to settle in, okay? So um, back in the Old Testament, God said, I wanna be a covenantal God which means I'm gonna make a covenant that can't be broken, and I am gonna agree to walk with the people of Israel forever. I will never leave them nor forsake them, okay? So now in the New Testament, that covenant that God made with his chosen people has now been open to everybody because of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' perfect uh, life that he lived on the cross, um, that he lived and then died on the cross and all that fun stuff, resurrected. Uh, So now we are invited into a covenantal relationship with God. He promises that if we agree with this covenant, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So when it says to abide in God, the invitation that's on the table is for us to walk in covenant with him, to agree with him and to walk in a covenantal relationship where God will never leave us nor forsake us. Get this. No matter what we do, no matter the sin that we've committed, the, the marks that we've missed, like all of that kind of stuff, when we say, Hey, God, I want to walk in relationship with you, God says, I'll cover you through Jesus. That's a powerful statement. Right, it goes on, it says, We've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. So, it's not that God made love or he created love. That's his nature. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. So, what's happening when it says love being perfected, the word perfected is uh, in the Greek, is where we get our word telescope. So, like, picture, you know, those little bitty, like, compressed telescopes that, like, pop out. You know, y'all know what I'm talking about? It was old like pirate telescope or something like that. Okay, that's what the word perfect, that's the illustration is that what's happening is our love is ever increasing and it's getting bigger and it's magnifying and we can see better because God has promised that as we walk in intimacy with him and we grow to understand him better from a heart level, not just a mind level, that what's happening is our love is increasing because God is love. It's his very nature. You can't walk with God and not fall more in love with him and more in love with people because that is God's nature. If you're gonna be around God, you're gonna be in an atmosphere of love, which means you will love by default. Does that make sense? You're tracking? All right, so we're abiding in God. Love begins to be perfected in us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. That's important um, because as he is, so are we in this world. Listen to this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So now, as you take a quick kind of inventory of your life, are there places of fear that have taken root? Are there places of fear that are showing up in your life? Listen, we're not beating anybody up. At the end of the day, we've all had fear that that, that takes space in our life. All you have to do is look and say, is love the mark of my life or not? Because here's the thing. Every motivation, every thought process, every decision we make, every feeling we have comes out of one of two camps. The fear camp or the love camp. That is it. Every decision we make is either motivated by fear or motivated by love. Every thought that we have is either motivated by fear or motivated by love. Think about this, like you you might need to go home and do some inventory and you know, think about that or whatever, but every decision that you make is either motivated by fear or motivated by love. Are you afraid of tomorrow? Are you afraid of the economy crashing? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of your spouse? Are you afraid of whatever it is? Fill in the blank. Or, Are you loving your job? Are you loving um, where your economy, your personal finances are? Are you loving your spouse? Are you loving? And by the way, the word love in this scripture, it means to choose. It is a choosing love. When it says that God is love, it means that God thinks so highly of you that he chooses you all the time, even at your worst, like, is that not fun <laughs> to think about? Like, like I'm just being real. That's the type of marriage that I want to be in. I want my wife to choose me when I am the worst of the worst. By the way, she does that. So like, just FYI, I've encountered that. But what's amazing about this covenantal relationship with God is he says, I'm going to choose you no matter what. No matter what. And so every decision and everything that we encounter is either motivated by fear or motivated by love. God manifests himself in love. So as you look at your life and you inventory what's going on, are there places where love is not? If love is absent in particular places of your life, it may be that maybe you're not allowing the Lord to show up there. And that's okay because he's never going away. <laughs> but he wants his love to impact every part of our lives. That's the promise. It's an amazing promise that we have with God because he is in covenant with us if you're a follower of Jesus in the room. So the question is, how do we continually receive love from him so that fear can be driven out? Remember, the process is a growing perfect love, right? Your love is being perfected. God's love in you is being perfected. And so there's areas that the Holy Spirit wants to call up to say, hey, this area right here, I want to perfect that. It's being perfected. Don't, don't freak out. It's, it's okay. Like, it's, it, it might be painful, just like what Lori sang about the whole new wine song. It might be uncomfortable. But the promise is love far outweighs the fear. The enemy wanted to bring a weapon of mass distraction to you. And one of his primary weapons is fear. And so what God realized in that is that he needed to bring a bigger gun to the battle. And so he didn't bring a tool, he brought himself. When it says God is love, literally what that promise is, is God himself shows up to the battle. God himself will show up at any place in our lives where fear has taken root and God himself will show you and speak to you, calling your spirit to attention that you are an overcomer, that you, through the power of Jesus Christ and the bloodshed on the cross, can overcome whatever it is. Amen? So how do we do that? We abide. Abide. The word abide literally means to allow God to take up residence in you and you reciprocate by taking up residence in him. You see, God's promise from the covenantal side is he'll never leave us nor forsake us. So when you say yes to Jesus, what happens is he covenantally agrees with you and shows up in you, in your life, in your spirit, in there. He's in there. But sometimes we choose to disagree with that agreement and, um, and, uh, and not engage with the spirit in particular areas of our life. We might give him our finances because that one's not as big of a deal to us, but we won't give him this addiction we might give him our job because we like to look good and be respected and have a good name and work hard, but we won't give him our marriage because that's messy. Or we won't give him that, that thing or that problem or that material possession, whatever it is, we'll keep that because we're afraid that if I have to give that up, actually it won't be better. <laughs> Me giving this up will not be better than what God has for me. And so what begins to develop is a place of mistrust in your life, a place of fear in your life. And so what God is saying is, hey, I'm abiding in you. Will you abide in me? Can we walk in agreement together? Any place that you will give the Father in agreement, his love will exponentially flood in to whatever that thing is. And you can overcome. You can find strength. You can find hope, no matter what the struggle is. So, how do we abide? Right. I I want to. I'm going to draw an illustration here in just a minute. I'm an amazing artist, by the way. Um, so, here's the picture. Uh, we're in. Let's go to John 15. Uh, picture this with me, okay? I'm gonna. I'm gonna kind of illustrate um, a a thought pattern, if you will. So, uh, picture this, Jesus is, they've just left him and his disciples have just left the upper room. This is in John chapter 15. We're going to start in verse seven. They've just left the upper room. And he said, we're going to go down to the garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, and we're going to pray. All right. So you guys know in the passion week, this is the end of the week where Jesus is getting ready to die on the cross. And he's walking with his disciples. Judas has already left And Jesus is going to this garden to pray for like hours um, in intense agony. And then he's going to be betrayed by Judas and die on the cross. All right. So this is kind of the story where we're at. He's walking with the disciples to this garden. And picture this with me. Along the way, he stops. And he says, hey, guys, come here just one second. I want to show you this. And he, he stops at a vineyard. And he picks up a, a vine and he says, you see, this vine, I, I'm like this vine right here. I, I'm like this, I'm the source, I'm the source that provides life to the branches. And, and, and you guys, disciples, like you're the branches. And, and, and the purpose of you being a branch connected to the vine is to bear fruit, and my father, he's the gardener and he's going to show up and, and, and he's going to look at this and go, okay, this is fruitful. This is not fruitful. We should prune this back. Um, did y'all know like in a, um, in a vineyard when the branches come off of the vine itself, um, you know, like the, the branch will grow and then there's like a little bud leaf thing that kind of comes out. And then what will happen is the, the branch keeps growing. And if the gardener doesn't prune the branch where the leaves are, what will happen is that branch continues to grow and it continues to extend itself and it continues to extend itself until basically it utilizes all of its resources to grow outward and then it shrivels up and becomes a dead stick. Maybe some of us in here are overextending ourselves and we're going too far (laughs) in places that the Lord has never asked us to go and we feel dry and dying. If that is you, maybe you might need to have a little self-inventory and say, hey God, is there a place that I need to be pruned? Is there a place in my life that you need to cut back? Guess what? Newsflash, it's not going to feel good. The pruning of the Lord isn't always fun. But Hebrews tells us that he disciplines those that he loves because he's treating us as children to grow up into maturity, into Christ. And so those places in our life, Jesus says, I'm the vine, I'm the supply line, stay fruitful, allow the gardener to prune you so that you can be fruitful and live a content life holy, joy-filled life. You do this by abiding in me. I'm the vine. Abide in me. And so he says this. This is an interesting statement in in John 15, chapter 15, verse 7. He says this, listen, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. That is a scary, like, prayer or a or, or, or verse, I, I guess. Like, I mean, you know how many times I've prayed for a Ferrari and not gotten it? You know how many times I've prayed for the lottery, you know, that billion dollar thing? And I mean, I guess you'd have to buy a ticket to actually, you know, something happen. But like, I mean, I've been in my room, you know, as a kid. And I'm like, God, if you're real, turn all the lights on right now. <laughs> y'all did it. Don't lie. You know, you're laughing because y'all did it too. Man, this is a dangerous prayer. This is a scary prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The key to this is abiding. Can we remain? Okay, so let's, let's watch this. Um, this is the, kind of the illustration. This is the part where I said I'm a great artist, right? Here we go. Um, okay, so he says, if you abide um let's let's say okay so this is this is me you're in the circle too you um abide in me okay so here's the picture Christ which is Jesus the word Christ also means anointed which means to cover so the anointed one Jesus when you say yes to Christ and you want to follow him and walk in agreement with Christ You abide. So like you snuggle up into Jesus. In Colossians 3, I think it is, it says that we're hidden in Christ. Like that's the picture, is that you are abiding in Christ, okay? And then he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, okay? So my word abides in you. Now, in the Greek... There's a a few interesting words for the word word. (laughs) This is going to be a little bit confusing, but just hang with me. All right, so this word right here in this context is the word Rhema. Rhema. And the word Rhema literally means a spoken word. A spoken word. Multiple times in other scriptures, the word word in connection to the word Rhema is also synonymous with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so here's the picture. In you, God wants to impart his Rhema word, the word Rhema means breath. And it's, it's the same concept of, of like, you know how when you're speaking, if you put your hand like right up to your mouth, you can feel the breath coming out? In Hebrew belief system, in the Jew, uh, Jewish belief system, they believe that whatever you spoke, like in James, it says that the, there's power, there's life and death in the tongue. Whatever you speak actually takes, there's like a life that is birthed in that. And and they believe that because in Genesis, in the Genesis account, it says God spoke things and they came into existence, right? So, So what's happening is God, watch this. So like God is in this whole thing here. God is over this whole thing and he is the provision. And he circles, encircles this entire thing and what's happening is God is speaking his rhema word into your life. This is how love abides in you. When you make an agreement to allow God to speak into your life through the power of the Holy Spirit, you are allowing the rhema word, the Holy Spirit, to impart something that you could not come up with on your own, right? Galatians 5, like the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, all that stuff. Like you're you're allowing God's Holy Spirit that is full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all that kind of stuff. Wisdom, discernment, miracles, supernatural stuff. The supernatural, the spiritual, which we cannot see with our natural eye, when you say, God, I need your spirit to abide in me, what's happening is God says, yes. And he begins to speak the word which breathes life into your mortal bodies. You feel different because the spirit, the Rama word is being spoken to you in the secret places in your life. When you go to God and say, God, I don't understand this debt. I can't figure it out. I don't understand this cancer thing. I can't figure it out. I don't understand this relationship thing. God, I need your imparted wisdom to show up in my life. I need you to speak on my behalf because if I speak, I'm going to ruin everything. If my soul speaks, I'm going to ruin it. If my body speaks, I'm going to do something stupid, God. I need you to speak on my behalf. What's beautiful about this whole rhema word thing is that the, the very definition of this word doesn't mean to understand. It just means to speak. So before we ever understand, God wants to speak to you first. It's the reason why they put such, a, whenever you read through scriptures, you see such an emphasis on faith. Why is faith such an important thing? It's because when God speaks, we don't understand it we don't immediately get the context the context of what he's trying to say. In Isaiah, the scripture says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than yours. So initially, when God begins to speak to us to the, through the spirit, we go, I don't understand that. Like uh, in Psalms, it says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm a divine creation. The scripture says that we're the apple of God's eye. I don't understand that, God. I don't understand being fearfully and wonderfully made. I look at my body in the mirror and I hate it. You know what I'm saying? I wish I had a a, a 12 pack and I wish I had like, like 15, 20 more pounds of, of pure muscle, 3% body fat. Like, come on, God, fearfully and wonderfully made? Nah, I like cake. You know what I'm saying? So we take this to the Lord and we say, God, please help me understand how I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know your word says it. I don't totally understand that. Will you enliven this with me, to me? So here's the promise, right? It doesn't stay there. God imparts, implants his rhema, Holy Spirit word in us. And as we marinate with God in the secret place, I'm not talking about here at church, oh, how, how are you doing with the Lord? Oh, good, God's good, brother. Everything's great. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about singing and praying together. And all. I'm talking about when you lay your head down at night and you're alone. The secret place where only you know. The secret places where only you know. God wants to speak to those. And then what happens out of that, check this out, because this is mind-blowing. I mean, it's just, it's so good. He's so stinking good. What happens is this. Romans 12 Romans 12 says, that we've been given a renewed mind. So what happens, I know my handwriting is amazing. You guys can just applaud me later. I'll be signing copies of this uh, later. Anyway, um, so what, what happens is this rhema word comes from God as, as the Father who gives us provision. He speaks this word into us even if we don't understand it. And then what happens is that rhema word passes through our mind our soul, our mind, will, and emotions. And it begins to take shape in our very being, in the fabric of who we are. And it begins to change the way we think, change the way we feel, change the way we act. And then what comes out is Christ. When people look at you and you are operating from a renewed mind, they see Jesus, not you. In other um, in the in in greek the other word for the word word is this word logos it's used synonymously with jesus john chapter 1 says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all that kind of stuff. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, all that. The word, Word, in John chapter 1 is the word logos, not the word rhema. It's, it literally means, logos means God's thoughts made manifest. So God's thoughts fleshed out in a way that we can see it with our natural eye. So get this. We don't understand the Lord. We go to him and say, I have fear in this place in my life. And we go to the secret place with God. We allow him to speak into us. He speaks a rhema word, speaks a rhema word through his scriptures, through dreams, through visions, through whatever way, nature, however he uses or wants to use to speak to us. We may not understand it immediately, but faith takes root And then what happens is our mind begins to catch it. And then what comes out is the Logos word. This is why experience is a big deal. This is why encounters with God are a big deal. The first time I ever laid hands on somebody to pray and they were healed, it literally solidified a belief system. I I knew it was real. I knew, like I've read it in scripture, but it didn't actually take precedence or shape in my life until the Rama word that I believed, just because I read it from scripture, actually fleshed itself out in the natural. Now, here's the thing. Um, Experiences and encounters with God don't necessarily define our belief systems, but they help shape them. Our belief systems are shaped in the spirit. Because God is spirit, right? And we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So in order for us to develop healthy belief systems about who God is and what he's gonna do in our life, it can't be because what we see with our natural eye. It has to be in the spirit. And as God speaks to us through the spirit, then what happens is our mind begins to change about our circumstances and our situations. Where there used to be hopelessness, all of a sudden there's hope, why? Not because the circumstance changed, but because God Himself spoke His Ramah word into you. You received it because you've chosen to walk in covenant, to abide in Him, and therefore, even if your circumstance doesn't change, you change. The catch is we have to decide to walk in covenant. God has already done the heavy lifting. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. So if you're standing at a mountain in front of you or you're staring down um, the eyes of a giant in your life, it doesn't make God any less God. It doesn't make him any less um, able to overcome. What he's inviting you into is to say, I will abide in you even if my circumstances look different than what I think they should. Does that make sense? It's kind of like in marriage. Like, if both parties will make this covenantal agreement to stick it out no matter what, right? Like, we stand on the altar, at the altar, and we pray, like, sickness and in health, rich or poor, and all that kind of stuff, right? Right? And, and, and we say that with our mouth, but then when the poor part comes or the sickness part comes or the, you know, whatever, it's like, I don't know if I signed up for this, right? Um, I just want the the wealth part and I just like the, the richer part, right? Um, what God is offering us is he always keeps his end of the bargain. If we'll just stay in the game with him and continue to covenantally walk with him through the struggle, keep talking about the issues. Specifically, I'm just going to be real for a minute, men in the room, this is our Achilles heel, okay? We don't like to talk about issues. If we will get in the secret place with God and begin to have conversation with him first and then other people that love us second, preferably your spouse, that's a great place to start because they should love you (laughs) in sickness and in health and all that, the agape love that we're talking about. Like, if we will get into a place where we say, I'm walking in covenant, God, and even though this situation makes me feel anxious and it makes me feel apprehensive about what's coming next or whatever, I'm not going to leave this situation. I'm not going to shut that door to this room in my life and just focus on all the things that I like. I'm going to open that messy door and I'm going to say, Okay, God, let's dig okay, God, don't, don't go dig by yourself, that's messy. You'll never come out feeling good about yourself. The Holy Spirit has to take you in that room and he has to tell you who you are. Because if you go into messy places in your life without the Holy Spirit, you come out going, I stink. I'm a horrible person, I'll never get over this, I can't overcome it, I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm a failure. But if you take the Holy Spirit into that room, He'll say this doesn't define who you are. He'll begin to speak the Rama word, even when you're looking at that mask, going, "God, I don't understand that." He'll say, "Trust me, son." And then what happens is your mind begins to re- to be renewed. You have hope, and you have belief that a future will come to pass. All right, I'm just going to skip a bunch of stuff because we need to be done. Here's the here's the uh, kind of the the end cap that I, I want to. Um, share with you guys, um, and I want to just kind of give you a story. In verse 11, skip down to 15, verse 11, he says this, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Okay, so watch this. Jesus is saying, I'm going to implant my joy. So whose joy is it? It's Jesus's joy. Okay, this isn't your joy. Joy basically means that you recognize your grace, the grace that God is giving you, the favor that he's leaning into you. That's what what joy basically means. It doesn't mean that you're happy and life is great. It means that no matter what the circumstance is, you're okay. Because the joy of Jesus is implanted in you. So he gives you his joy so that your joy might be full. You see if you just try to operate out of your joy, your joy is like taking three drops and putting it in a one-gallon bucket. There's no fullness in that. But when you allow the joy of Christ to fill you, his joy never runs out. So you have this full bucket to the brim overflowing, and then you put your little three drops of joy in there, and it looks awesome his joy will make you full and complete when you partner and and walk in reckless abandon with him um just as an illustration to kind of wrap this up this is such a silly illustration but it 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 was personal and i it meant something to me so i'm y'all going to have to ride with me um so last night i have a habit sometimes of coming in here and kind of just reading through scriptures and and like thinking through stuff um, and so last night when I got here, um, and I, I was I'm kind of wearing stuff like this season is is heavy for me and my family and stuff. Um, but uh, so I came in here and it was probably I don't know seven or eight o'clock at night. Um, and I play drums some, and I was like, man, I'm, just, I'm gonna play a song. And so I put my little in ears in and I hop on the drum set and I just start playing um, a worship song to kind of like get my head in the game. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere like as I'm calling my spirit to attention and, and, and just like listening to the Lord and playing the drums in a room full of no one except the king. Except the king. Like this overwhelming sense of the presence of God begins to fill the room. And I lose it. If someone were to turn on the security cameras... They would say, who is that crazy nut beating on the drums? But the presence of the Lord just began to take over in a powerful way. And I worshipped him in spirit and in truth. And then I put the the drumsticks down and I sat there and I just prayed for a minute, just wept at the drum set. And then I got up and I came down here and I started prayer walking this building. And I anointed every doorpost in the name of Jesus. And I anointed every spot, every crack, so that the presence of God would just fill this place. That is what it means for the joy of the Lord to fill you. You don't care what people think. You don't care what you look like. All you care about is, Father God, give me your word so that Jesus might be seen in my life. It's so that our joy might be made complete. Because without him, our joy is worthless. It's worthless. So it doesn't matter what giant you're staring at. It doesn't matter what mountain you're looking at. His word will lead you through it. You don't have to understand it. You just have to receive it.